Dear no one, welcome to episode five. As always, thank you for your ratings and follows, and don't forget to spread the word. As a reminder, I'm streaming from Podbean, Apple, Spotify, CastBox, and Google Play. You can also find us on Podbean at darenoone.podbean.com. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram and join the Facebook group, Dare No One Podcast. Last episode, you heard me vent on my own experiences with racism as I sat down and reflect and have conversations and watch CNN or read online or jump on social media. I see so much and I'm disheartened, angry, I'm annoyed just about every day. So a conversation with my friend Shireen led me to this episode, and this episode is named Indignation. Without further ado, I would like to introduce Dr. Noel Kazanev, author of Killing African Americans and professor of sociology at my undergraduate alma mater, University of Connecticut. Dr. Kazanev received several awards, including the Northeast Magazine Connecticut Bloom Award for contributions to the quality of life of the state for developing and teaching the white racism course. And he also consults on staff training sessions and understanding systemic racism. It is an honor and a privilege. You said yes to my podcast, Dr. Kazanov. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much. So today we will look at indignation and how making Black Lives Matter can only stem from dismantling systemic racism that exists within our society. We'll also take a hard look at Black women and how your research has found that they're mostly killed as collateral damage. Again, welcome, Noel. So again, what I wanted to say today is before we even go into having this conversation is that the podcast is focused on indignation. However, there are, I want to take this moment to name a few names because without these crucial names, we wouldn't even be having this conversation. We wouldn't even be in this state of affairs. I want to start off with Emmett Till, whose case is so widespread, it needs no introduction. Amado Diallo, a street vendor from Guinea, shot in New York City, mistaken identity, and was holding his wallet instead of what police thought was a gun. His killers, well, they were found not guilty in a court of law. Anthony Baez, Abner Loima, Antoine Reed, Patrick Durismond, Timothy Thomas, Treyon Martin, his vigilant killer, George Zimmerman, not guilty. Aisha Garza, an African-American woman. Ahmaud Aubrey, George Floyd, Michael Brown. Ferguson, hands up, don't shoot, a plea for his life. I honestly could go on and on, but I will stop there. Now I'd like to define indignation, which is anger or annoyance by what is perceived as unfair treatment. Dr. Kazanev, I'd like you to start us off and talk about some of the things that you've been working on with indignation. Would you please? Sure. 
Wow. Um, that was, wow. I, well, just going to even going back to the reason, you know, the protesting, you mentioned peaceful and you mentioned violent. From a psychological standpoint, what would you say has led to the violence and why, why do you suppose people are looting? earlier and we talk about that first earthquake and everybody's in shock and everybody just you know going going about their business and then suddenly there's an earthquake and there's a problem but then come aftershocks which is what these these feel like they feel like echoes or you know deja vu if you will what do you think about that and how does that i mean you know a lot of people are saying well why are people so angry and how this quickly spread this is not something that happened before we had the Baltimore riots. We had riots before. So what do you think about, you know, those people who are saying, well, why are they doing this now and why did it escalate so quickly? Right. 
about that in the last podcast you know the burden the burden of being african-american or black and it's it's just not something that others think about whether the brown or the white person it's something that we have to think about and it's something that we face and it's not to say that you know things don't happen to other folks but it's like those said things happen to us but then there is this extra where we're being, I've been pulled over before by a cop who was blatantly racist. I mean, this man just kept yelling at me from the moment he walked up to my window all the way through. And I have a clean record. No tickets, no nothing. And I was just, I was just so surprised. And I, I don't want to go off track too much and get into that story. That story could be a whole podcast. But, you know, now that you brought that up, I'd like to talk about this one thing that I was reading on social media, and it was the artist Pink. And she said, she was talking, people were saying, you know, it's not right to talk about Black, life, black Lives Matter because all lives matter. And no one in no way here is saying that all lives don't matter. But the, the life in question is the Black life and particularly the African-American male or the black male life. And so she said, which I, you know, Pink, the artist, white lady, white woman, she said on social media, she said that um, no one is saying your life doesn't matter. No one is saying your life is not hard. No one is saying anything at all about you. All you, and I'm going to say this because my podcast is explicit. She said, all you motherfuckers do is find a way to make everything about yourself. This is not about you. Stop making everything about you. You are not in need. You are not in danger. You are privileged, whether you like it or not. Society gives you privilege just for being white. If all lives matter, why are black people killed for just being 
black. And I want to take it a little further. In your book, Killing African Americans, you mention that it was the killing of Michael Brown in a largely African American and economically struggling suburb of Missouri and the year-long Ferguson movement of social protests provoked by it that made the increasingly visible Black Lives Matter movement possible, as it would soon come to be known, a central and enduring feature of American life, politics, and culture. Can you speak on that? Yes, I should also note that the movement for Black Lives, that's what we call it now. Before that, mm -hmm. it was called the Lives Matter movement, and before that, maybe it didn't have a name. Right. Uh, the movement has existed ever since we had uh, Africans in, uh, in, 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 in the Americas. Right. We have, we have always struggled uh, to say that we should not be treated as cattle. We've struggled uh, after slavery under peonage. We've struggled after uh, we've struggled under Jim Crow. We've struggled with Matt Carpenter. We have been in a constant hundreds of years battle to make black lives matter. Uh, so what we see is just the latest manifestation of that uh, long-term uh, struggle. Uh, and, you know, people thought that when uh, Barack Obama was elected president that we had moved to a post-race uh, society. And, uh, of, of course, uh, we did not. I mean, of course, we did not. timid about dealing with uh, 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 racism as, as a president. Um, when these uh, incidents began to happen under his administration, his initial response was that's a local matter. And then when it continued to happen, rather than to deal with them initially in a systemic way, he said that if I had a son, it would look like Trayvon. So he very much personalized. Mm -hmm. And then when African Americans uh, um, engaged in violent protests in Baltimore after Freddie Gray, then he called them thugs. The same thing that, by the way, uh, Donald Trump has referred to uh, as people who have engaged in violent protests. Right. So we have to recognize that we have problems of systemic racism that go way beyond Donald Trump. Uh, and we have to have uh, we have to have a recognition that we need politics that goes way beyond defeating Donald Trump and returning to normalcy. Because the normal that African Americans have experienced in this country, even before Donald Trump, is simply not acceptable. So if Joe Biden is going to tell people that the, uh, the only reason you should vote for me is to get rid of Trump, then he's probably going to lose because he's not going to motivate especially the young um, African-Americans that he needs in large numbers uh, to win. He has to actually give people reason to vote for him, not just to vote for Trump. So we have a exactly. large, it goes back hundreds of years, and that needs to uh, be recognized as such, placed in this proper historical context. And we need to ultimately recognize that piecemeal reforms are not, are not going to change things. We need to have a Fundamental changes in our um, in, in in our racial uh, structures in this country that need to be dismantled, and in our economic system. 
I agree. And I also wanted to point out that, you know, there has been a lot of people who thought that Obama was going to be the savior, so to speak. And, you know, I, I can't speak on that because I don't think I have the right background to even begin to have that conversation. However, what I can say is this. I do know enough about politics to know a four-year term or even an eight-year term is not enough for a movement. It's not enough to make a change. And it, it would be disgusting to even consider that it has to just take a Black president to do that. Everyone should be trying to do that. Everyone should be trying to dismantle the inequity where African-Americans are, are disenfranchised. And everyone should be having this fight. It, the burden shouldn't just be on Obama. Of course, since no one has done it, everyone looked at Obama for this. But it's important for me to, and, and you know, just, just with his politics, um, for me to just kind of point out that it couldn't have changed with just him. It needs to continue. And then what we have in office right now, that's another story. But I do want to go back to necropolitics as you defined it. And two things that happened over the course of the news the last two days. So there was another killing in, I believe it was Louisville, which resulted in the chief of police being fired. So it was peaceful protesters maced so that the president can take a photo in front of a church with the Bible in hand. And our president is now calling on governors. He's saying that they're weak and wants to invoke the Insurrection Act. How do you address those specific issues considering the fact that the COVID response from the president wasn't so swift? To see how vigilant he is with protesters and wanting to quell the violence makes me wonder if the racial state applies here. What are your thoughts on this? Hey guys, um, welcome back again. We're speaking to Dr. Kazanev and I wanted to just kind of continue. We had to take a quick break there. And so right before the break, I asked a question that I'd like to repeat. And the, the question has a lot to do with going back to Dr. Kazanev's theory on necropolitics and the racial state. So going back to necropolitics, two things happened over the course of the news the last two days. Another killing in Louisville, I believe it was, which resulted in the chief of police being fired. And then peaceful protesters in Washington, D.C. were maced so that the president can take a photo in front of a church with the Bible in hand. And our president is now calling governors weak. He's saying that he wants to invoke the Insurrection Act, which is to basically bring in the military into states. And how do you, um, Professor Kazanev, address those specific issues, considering the fact that the COVID response to me was very slow, to see how vigilant he is with protesters and wanting to quell the violence makes me wonder if the racial state applies here. What are your thoughts on this? Yes, it certainly does. I mean, I can answer your question in one word. Uh, it's racism. But I wanted to hear two words. It would be systemic racism. Wow. Uh, if you will recall, uh, and if your listeners will recall, uh, Donald Trump was elected president for one reason and one reason only. There were numerous uh, studies uh, that involved uh, survey where people were asked after they voted, however they voted, why they voted, the way they voted. Mm -hmm. 
on indignation, but I want to refer to, um, so I watched this show, Insecure, Issa Rae, and, um, on HBO, so I love that show, right, for so many reasons, however, <laughs> okay, good, so two episodes ago, I'm not up to date on Sunday, so don't ruin it, Dr. Kazanev, no, I'm joking, <laughs> but, um, so two episodes ago, Molly, and Molly is one of the characters, she's the attorney, you know, well-polished, whatever, and Molly is dating an Asian American um, male. And so they decided to go on a vacation. And you remember this episode where she goes and she's on the island. And right before, so the, something happened with the, so he, he, she, they were there with his brother, um, Asian American, and his wife, I believe it was, Asian American. And so something happened to the, to the wife and Molly was like, oh, I'll go get a towel. And she went up to the towel stand and there were, white couple, I believe it was, in front of her, 
And the girl just kind of handed him towels and Molly was like, can I get, can I get a towel please? And so she was like, well, do you have a room key? And Molly was like, well, what, what's the problem? Like, I, I, I'm, I'm here. This is all inclusive resort. And so the girl was like, no, I need your room key. I don't want to get in trouble. And then the, the brother comes up and shows the room key and Molly gets really angry. And then she, and Molly tends to go off. So she kind of did go off on this guy. But what he was saying to her was, do, you know, would you would you at least consider the fact that this was not racism? And and it's not to say that brown people don't face racism, but I don't think that he could understand in that moment how Molly felt. Maybe Molly went off, right? But in that moment, how she felt to be asked that question, you have to you have to wonder why. Well, why weren't the white people asked that question? Is it because I'm black, so I look suspect? I look like I don't belong here? And so the reason why I even say this is to say that I want to touch further on indignation. When I was having a conversation with my friend Shireen, we discussed how the blatant disregard for black lives are deeply rooted in our system. And the only way to change is not just by looking at our system of government, but also to look at the school system. So, you know, it's like when we say things and we talk about racism, some people look at us like we're crazy, but we're not crazy. This stuff is, is, is real. And so she gave, my friend gave an example of how a Jewish child expressed an open forum in the class that he didn't understand why there was a Black History Month and there should be a White Scientist Month instead not that there should be one also but instead let's replace black history month and then he um but the problem here was his white teachers wanted to treat it as a light moment shove it under the rug instead of holding themselves and him accountable for facing the truth of why there has to be a black history month to begin with if we look at the institution of the school system and we try to change politics and government do you think we will miss the mark on changing our children? Because these brown and white children should feel that indignation for their fellow Blacks. And if they can't, aren't we raising children who will be desensitized and will not hold up the very system we're trying to change? And if so, how do we start the conversation with children? Children are a sensitive subject. And at what age should we start that? And I don't know if it's something that you can answer or not, but I think it's worth saying in the, on this podcast today. What do you think? Well, I think that we have to start a lot earlier than
Exactly. Yeah. 
that is absolutely correct. It's like you basically stated what all of us are thinking. You know, it's like, I don't condone violence. I don't believe that we should be burning buildings or we should be fighting or, you know, all of that stuff, looting. However, people are tired. They went out there peacefully. And then even in the, the wake of protesting, the cops are there. They're throwing mace in the crowd. They're, it's the same lack of consequences. And, you know, it's like it's one thing to to attack when you feel that you're being threatened. However, the reporter from CNN, and I can't remember his name right now, he was reporting the news. And he was trying to ask, why am I being arrested? And he couldn't get an answer. And there is a part of me who believed that the only reason why they started arresting the other folks is because they arrested a seemingly black man. And he wasn't a black man. He was Hispanic. But he was a darker Hispanic. And so to me, the reason why they went out and started arresting everyone else is because it, would have, it wouldn't have seemed right. And so, you know, and that's just my assessment of the situation. But even watching the news and, you know, I have to say I've been traumatized the last two days because I've been trying to stay current for this podcast. And, you know, you see so much stuff, the, the, the police um, vehicle driving into the crowd, the, the pregnant woman, the horse, someone being trampled, a semi, it, it just it's just getting out of hand. And so, again, here they are protesting about something that is being done even in that moment of protest. And that to me is... absolutely crazy yeah and those other police officers who stood there and they did absolutely nothing and there was there was a when you know i was reading your book killing african-americans 
and there was one and I, I can't like forgive me but I can't remember the particular person where you mentioned how when and it was the same it was the echo that we talked about where it was another choking moment and the gentleman what they were choking him out and then they called 911 and they put the the, the request to 911 as unknown which means that 911 was not going to treat it as an emergency and that to me again is another blatant disregard for the african american life or the black life you know, it's like, okay, so if you're so sorry about choking him because you were threatened and you wanted to restrain him in whatever way you possibly could, then why didn't you try to save him? And why didn't you put in an emergency call to 911? Why put it as unknown? Why make it seem like there is no regard for this man's life? And those are the other little things. And, and that's the thing. It's like people don't notice the little things. And this is why they get they they see it as a nuisance when we talk about the little things because they're like, well, everything's not about race. Maybe everything is not about race, but maybe just maybe everything is about race. I don't. Do you watch the show? It's on Netflix, <laughs> Black as Fuck or Black AF. And this show, initially, I was just like, you know what? Is this going to be another reality show? I'm not going to give it a chance. And a couple of my friends were like, no, I'll give it a chance in episode four. I got into it. And basically, um, it's the guy who did Blackish, and forgive me again, um, I can't say his name right this minute. But um, he he basically, the show, the premise is that everything stems back to slavery. And it's true. I'm sorry, but it's true. When you when you look back at everything and you look back at the system. It all goes back to slavery. It all goes back to the inequity, starting with slavery, starting with the boat, you know, starting with coming here, starting with, okay, freeing us and not giving us adequate anything. And so to me, it's that same system that we're living on. And how can that system be okay if the premise is based on slavery? And I don't, I don't care what people want to say. Okay. Yes, this is not, we're, li we're not living in slavery days. But we're living on the same system, the same premise, the same everything, the same institution um, that is built off of that. Wouldn't you agree? Or what would you say about that? Oh, that's absolutely true. Uh, the New York Times uh, had an African-American woman do a wonderful series called 1619. And basically, through a number of articles, they showed that almost every institution of American society has been functioning and functioning today. Thank you. 
grandfather <laughs> it's it, it you're right it, it's absolutely not long ago you know it's like I can't even say yeah you're right um I do want to say real quick that um because I always want to make sure I name people so it's Kenya Barris who created um Black AF or Black as Fuck on Netflix and it's a really good show go out and watch it um so <laughs> but I wanted to I wanted to switch gears. Well, not switch gears, but just go back to our children. I have this um, 12-year-old niece who I consider a little genius, and she's going to do amazing things. I see it already. Her name is Samia. I'm not going to name her last name, but I posed the question. We have this little family chat, and I posed the question to her, you know, what do you think about what's happening in the news right now? And she said to me, and this is a quote, she said, I feel like what the what they, the protesters, are doing for George Floyd is amazing. I also feel like racism is wrong and no one should be judged for something they have no control over. To be honest, it's a flex to be black. And so I asked her, what does flex mean? And she said, flex means that it is something to be proud of. And I heard her and it resonated but, and I, and I love this little girl and she's so smart, but what saddens me, Professor Kazanev, is that I wonder to myself when I hear her, how long before she starts feeling the burden of her blackness? At what point will she realize that black, while it is important to be proud and celebrate, when she gets to high school, college, the workplace, even dating, Whatever those systems are, she will be reminded of not just who she is, but she is going to be reminded that she's a black woman. And that should not be taken away from any child, whether they're black, white, or brown. And I think that's something that people need to hear. You know, when you go back to even the definition of indignation, 
anger or annoyance provoked by what is perceived as unfair treatment. We all need to be anger, angered and annoyed by this. Like no one is saying go out and shoot someone. No one is saying go out and, you know, and loot or whatever. But this little girl, she spoke so just, just freely and sounded so proud of herself. But I know I was that little girl once who spoke the same language. And I cannot tell you the, t the, the amount of times that I have seen the system fail me. And granted, I am always going to thrive no matter what, so I thrive. However, it's not without that burden on my back and it's not without fight. It's not without discourse. And I have three degrees. And, you know, it's why I always mentor and tell my, my nieces and nephews, you have to give yourself a fighting chance. You have to, we have to work that much harder. We have to, we, we, we can't just go in and give our best. We got to make sure our best is better than enough because we have to give 150%, sometimes even 200% while our white counterparts are being paid more. They are, they don't have to give too much percentage and they could just go in and half-ass it and they get a pat on the back. I've seen it so many times. I've seen it in all these systems that I mentioned, Dayton. I've seen it in, in school, in college, in grad school. I've seen it everywhere, the workplace. And so, anyways, I'm sorry, I could go on and on and on. But I just wanted to, to mention that to just hear your take on that because I think it's important. Yes, it's very important. I have a, um, an 11-year-old daughter who will make 12 grand daughter who will make 12 in uh, about a week or so. And so I gave her a budget and told her she could go on Amazon.com and start ordering some things for her birthday. And I started noticing that she was ordering cargo pants, and then they had to have jeans with mm -hmm. pants, and she was ordering all kinds of hip-hop stuff. And I was thinking, um, <laughs> I was like, oh, wow, now I have to worry about, you know, be 12, my 12-year-old granddaughter going out the street, and someone, uh, you know, some cop, you know, thinking that she's a threat, and maybe she's really hurt. I know. So, Yes, I do. Um, is so heavy I swear <laughs> it's you know there is just so much to talk about I I want to take a, another quick break I know we're taking breaks here but I want to take another quick break because there's someone it's a um 
Adam Kaplan, who I want to bring into this fold and and continue to talk about, he's a he's a licensed clinical psychologist, and I would like to hear his take on just having conversations with children. I know you've given a great take, and I appreciate that. But I, I'd also like to bring Adam into the fold. So we're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back, guys. Thank you. Um, again, Professor Kazane for just being on here with me. I really appreciate this. Hang on. Hi, guys. Welcome back. Um, thank you for bearing with us as we take these breaks. But we wanted to get Adam Kaplan on the phone. He's a licensed He's a licensed clinical psychologist. Um, Adam, are you there? Can you say hello, please? I'm here. Thank you for having me. Oh, it, it's my pleasure. And thank you for being on here with me and Dr. Kazanev, <laughs> who I'm having a hard time saying Noel because, you know, it doesn't come naturally. <laughs> but um, <laughs> Noel, are you there? <laughs> so... Before Adam joined the, the conversation, we talked about so much, and but our focus today is indignation. And right before we took this break, we were talking about my niece who was talking about how being Black is something to be proud of, and she doesn't understand why someone would judge you for something that you cannot control. And so my thing was that I feel as though brown students and white students should be held accountable, or brown children and white children should be held accountable and should also feel the sense of indignation. And that is where I want to surround the conversation. But what I, the question that I want to pose to Adam, our licensed clinical psychologist, is how difficult would it be to have a conversation about indignation with an 11-year-old child whose race is other than black or even a brown child and what psychological implications would parents have to consider in having these conversations, or even teachers? Yeah, that's a really important question, of course, especially with everything that's going on now. Um, and I think it really, before we get to talk to, you know, as a parent talking to your child, I think it has to start with the parent being educated or seeking to be educated themselves. Mm -hmm. Because if you're going to be talking your child and try to instill some sense of morals or instill some sense of values or instill some education around it, right? It really serves best to be educated on the topic yourself, right? And I can mm -hmm. speak as a, as a parent of an 11 year old and as a parent um, who is not a person of color, right? even for myself, I'm, you know, to be responsible and have a appropriate conversation and dialogue, I gotta know what's going on myself, right? Mm -hmm. So I can't, if I don't, then I'm going to rely on other people in my child's life to give him that message, whether it's a positive one, a negative one, or one that I want him to have. He's going to be getting that message with or without me. Mm -hmm. Right? So my goal as a parent is to, again, educate myself, teach myself, learn, expose myself, so I feel like I'm in a comfortable place enough to have that conversation and, and be able to address any kind of questions that he or she may have. Wow, that's, that's a great start. Um, and then what about a teacher? Do you think they should have that conversation? I, I know that, you know, you're saying it should start with a parent, and I wholeheartedly agree, but we're only parenting our children when they're with us, right? So what about when they're out in the world, they're with teachers, they're watching, they're on social media, they're watching television. What, what do you think? Yeah, I think, yeah, we can't pretend that it doesn't exist. Mm -hmm. I think it's a 
earlier you you know we talked about how it's important to have that communication what are your thoughts on this yes i'm sorry i said professor (laughs) i'm changing it up here So you count, <laughs> no, sir, I'm joking, but 
But no, but just going back to what you said, I really do agree with both of you that communication is so key. It's important to have these conversations than not. And I wanna I wanna bring up something real quick. And you know, I'm always having these conversations, whether it's about race, whether it's about gender, you know, um, there's so many movements going on, hashtag me to whatever. But um there was a my friend uh, and her daughter stopped by and just having dinner and hanging out and her daughter is about 12 years old and she looked at me and well she looked at both of us and we were just having candid conversations that included her of course and she I asked her how school was and she was like oh it's okay and I was like well why is it just okay and she was like well I'm tired of being the darkest person in the room and I was like what and I didn't even really know what to say to this little girl, but what I didn't want to do was not even have, not even acknowledge it. And so I acknowledged it and I basically said to her, I said, look, children can be cruel and the world is not always going to be kind, but you are dark and you're beautiful. And that is something to be proud of. And that was the only thing that I could conjure up. And I'm not, I'm not a parent. I'm not a clinical psychologist. I'm not a psychologist. I was a psych major for a year at UConn. And then I switched to English. So I don't, I don't even think I'm equipped to have these conversations. And what you said about, what you said, Adam, about getting yourself educated in order to have these tough conversations. But then it kind of goes back to what I said even in my last podcast. I said that the contention I have is that parents don't just get to talk about the birds and the bees or black parents rather don't just get to talk about the birds and the bees they have to have all those conversation little girls about their periods black boys about condoms or whatever but then they also have to have the conversation with them about being black and i can't stress that enough because it's it's just it's disheartening to me that we i i feel and i i said this um, recently that I feel like we have this extra burden to carry. We're going through a pandemic for crying out loud, right? So there are hundreds and thousands of people dying, that's stress. And then the the we're African Americans are or blacks are already at a social disadvantage and there's there's disenfranchisement and they're you know they're already in a tough spot. Unemployment, there's a lot of black people who face unemployment. Not to say that all people aren't facing it. And then there's also a lot of black people on the front lines because those are the jobs that they that most of them are in, or some of them are in rather, the janitors. Would they tend to be brown or black? You know, the 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 nurses assistants or whoever. And so they're on the front lines, they're going out, and then it's like here comes the killing of George Floyd. And then here comes the riots. Like, we're all stressed out. It's one of the reasons why I even started this podcast, because I can't sleep at night. So it's like, you know, just having this contention of having to have these extra conversations, those are hard. And, you know, it's something that we can talk about. We can talk about it. We can be angry about it. But it's like, it's there. there is a deep-rooted systemic issue. And that's something that I'm posing to both of you. And I want to start off with you, Adam, because I've been talking to Noel for so long and you just came on. But what what are your thoughts surrounding what I just said? And I know I said a lot, so bear with me. The real question is, 
what are your thoughts on, you know, just, and, and I, just black people having to have this extra conversation? What, what do you think about that? Adam, are you there? Hello? Okay, I think Adam actually dropped off. I know he had a hard stop at 2.15. Um, Noel, are you still there? Yes. Uh, I think that that's one of those situations where oftentimes we hear African American young people complaining that they have this double burden. That why can't I just be stupid like the white people do? Be dumb and dumber. Uh, why can't I make a mistake when I go out and play my music too loud and I get stopped? Why do I have to hear people instruct students about how to do it? you off but Adam actually messaged me he he got disconnected we're gonna patch him in real quick he does have a hard stop at 215 and I want him to be able to answer this question so just give me a minute while I bring him back into into the the podcast one moment okay thank you guys for your patience as we work with technical difficulties Adam are you back on Okay, great. I can hear you just fine. And then, Noelle, are you still there? Yeah. Okay, fantastic. Thank you, guys. So, Adam, did you hear my question or did you hear my statement or where did you get cut off? Uh, I got cut off um, when you're starting to talk about all, all the other stressors that are going on Right. And so what I was saying is that, you know, it's really difficult being a black parent and having to have these extra conversations. And so my question to you is really, what is your take on this? You know, as a clinical psychologist, what would you pose to these parents who have to have these tough conversations, black parents in particular, and just everyone in general, because I really think these are things we need to talk. And I know you have to go at 215. So we understand, answer and cut us off. Mm -hmm. 
Thank you for that, Adam. And, you know, before I go into your part, Noel, I just want to say, Adam, I really appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule to come on. I, I appreciate you. I'm going to call you when I put together that panel, and you better say yes. <laughs> That's a direct threat. No, sir. <laughs> you have a wonderful day. Thank you so much for coming on. I appreciate that. Okay, great. Um, I I just love this dialogue, and you know, thanks again, Adam, for coming on today. I really appreciate that. Those are some really good insights, and I really hope parents are listening and taking heed because that's important. What he said about allowing your child to feel how they should feel or how they're feeling, and we don't. I I never even thought about that because. It's kind of like the, the I mentioned in, I think, episode three about the stages of grief and allowing them to go through their feelings so that they can get through the process to, into acceptance. So that's that's amazing. I, I'm so touched by that. But continuing the conversation, um, Professor, <laughs> um, what, what are your thoughts on this? I said, continuing the conversation, and I said, Professor, I was being silly. I said, what are your thoughts on this? But um, you said that your dissertation was on African American fathers. Thank you. 
and they won't limit their amendments on their opportunity, and then they will go ahead to great things, versus not talk about that person there was this um so there was this other conversation I had with another friend and she's a teacher and she was saying that she was at the school and you know she there was like um it was in an urban um um neighborhood or over, urban region rather and the there was this black kid who just kept acting up acting up and you know he was problematic they didn't know what to do with him and everybody was tiptoeing around what they wanted to say, and everybody meaning the brown the brown teachers and the white teachers, because he's a black kid, and they they just were trying to be sensitive. And then the the there was a black teacher who pulled him up and was like, "Dude, if you don't, I'm sure he didn't use the word dude, rather, <laughs> but if you don't get it together and you bring this behavior later on." in the streets, you're going to be shot by the police. And I, I think that that is loaded in so many ways, right? So he, he he was telling him the truth, but then it's like, you know, just imagine like he's telling him that you have to curb your behavior in order to make sure that you know how to deal with the police so that you don't get shot. That's a whole nother thing in itself. But then also, he ha he was able to have the conversation because he's black. That's another problem. Um, and then he also was telling him something that he needed to understand at that age, which is going to be true. I find that I find that fascinating. Right. I, I had a similar experience. Uh, I, uh, my conversation now in three parts if you think about it we have a three-part podcast but it, there is something that we promise <laughs> there is something that we promised to talk about in the very beginning you know and it was to also have a conversation and I feel like this conversation doesn't happen enough because of most of what's highly publicized is the killing of black men or african-american men and so one of the things that I mentioned in the very beginning is that we wanted to also take a hard look at black women and how your research has found that they're mostly killed as collateral damage. I mean, there's there's other ways um, there's other ways that they were killed because I did mention a black woman when I mentioned the names in the beginning, Alicia Garza, I believe, and. Um, so I want to shift the focus to have that conversation because it's not something that we talk about. It's not something we really see in the news. And um, we were, I was watching and I, I'm going back to collateral before I let you 
when you answer that. I was watching CNN and there was this footage where they showed these two people in a car and the, the, the passenger said it was a black woman and they, they I think they tasered them. And, you know, they, they were pulling them out of the vehicle and it was a female and it was a male, I believe it was. And so, and I even heard that that young man had epilepsy, which he could have been killed with a taser, but that's, oh gosh, that's a whole other thing. But, you know, let's talk about black women dying. It's not highly publicized and how they're also, in most cases, collateral damage. Okay, in my Thank you. 
conversation and we could go on and on and on. I am going to, I, I want to read you something, um, Dr. Kazanev, and it's actually from one of your students <laughs> and she's the, she's single-handedly responsible for this conversation today. And I, I say that because me and her were chatting and we were talking about indignation. And then she mentioned your white racism class at UConn that she took it about almost 20 years ago, and I was like, you know what? I'm going to reach out to this man. 
And I reached out to you without hesitation. You know, I did pull the Yukon card and I did pull out Dr. Lewis and Joyce Hopkinson. <laughs> so I didn't make it easy. I'm very forceful. <laughs> and I know how to get things done. <laughs> and I'm so glad that I'm forceful. But um, Shireen, if I don't do this, she'll probably strangle me. I'm joking. She's not violent at all. <laughs> but she said, um, this is a former student of yours, Shireen. And she said that, she took your white racism class in She's Brown, She's Indian, and she said, as a teacher who have taken Professor Kazanev's class, I feel completely comfortable that I now know what race relations is about. I'm no longer uncomfortable with the truth in a racial conversation, and it is because I took that class. And in no way, I know, that's powerful. And she said, in no way I can speak on black racism. Brown, yes, but I, I I can't speak on black, but now I can empathize and understand the black conversations. And she said she has you to thank for that. And what I also, and you know, we're getting to the point where we're closing here, but I wanna read something, and this is from your book, Killing African Americans, and it's a long title, I'm just reading the first part, but um, your last chapter, or chapter seven, it says, Making Black Lives Matter, Lessons Learned and Unfinished Business. And you said, you open it with, a key assumption of this book is that as political violence, the pervasive, disproportionate, and persistent police and vigilante killings of African Americans can only be stopped through collective political action. And then you go on to say, unfortunately, the desperation and urgency African-Americans have asserted about making Black Lives Matter are increasingly being tested today, now that we have entered what is for many a frightening Trump era of American politics and race relations. Today, many, if not most, European-Americans dismiss the arguments of the movement for Black lives as the mere rantings of African-American malcontents who are too quick to play the race card of bogus accusations. Too many European-Americans cannot bear to hear the words Black Lives Matter without attempting to shout them down with a rebuttal of all lives matter, blue lives matter, or white lives matter. And so I bring this up to say that I think it's important what Shireen said about now she's not, she, there's no discomfort with having this conversation. And I know that I've been in a situation before where I went to a restaurant with my white friend and the, the waiter was blatantly being racist. I didn't even say anything. She said it first. And she said, well, Mar, my friends call me Mar, I can't even begin to understand this. And, you know, she said, I've never been in this situation before. And I said to her, how could you? You're white. And I said, and it's okay. This is not, this is normal for me. Unfortunately, that's my normal. And I think that it's, it's important for us to continue to have these conversations. Well, first we need to have them and then continue to have these conversations because this discomfort with race and this discomfort about Black Lives Matter is what's causing the problem, in my opinion. You know, it's like, don't shove it under the rug. 
let's have the uncomfortable conversations. And I think what you wrote is so powerful and what Shireen said is so powerful. And those are things, that's that's the kind of note I want to leave this podcast with today. Stop shoving things under the rug. Go ahead. I'm sorry. <laughs> of course. Of course. Absolutely. <laughs> Number three, programs of 
Wow. I don't think I could have said it better <laughs> at all. <laughs> Thank you so much. I <laughs> you did. You did tell me it was going to be fun, and it was fun. I mean, this is this is not a fun topic per se, but having the conversation about it, you know, it's like w w I'm comfortable with it. You know, and, and that's kind of what we're saying here today is like, get comfy with it, have the conversation, have fun with it and talk about it. Because, you know, if you make it uncomfortable, then you're not going to have it. And so um, I really appreciate you tuning in today or you coming in today and, and having these conversations with me. Thanks again, Adam, for just sharing those insights and what insights there were. Wow. You know, so. <laughs> um Dr. Kazanov, I cannot call you Noel. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming on today. And to my listeners, dare no one, tune in next time. Episode six will continue to focus on current events and will continue the conversation on systemic racism. Dare no one. Thank you always for listening. Don't forget to join the Facebook group or the Facebook movement <laughs> and follow, follow Dear No One Podcast on Instagram. And we are streaming from Podbean. You can go to dearnoone.podbean.com or you can download the app. But you can also listen in on Apple, Spotify, Google Play, and CastBox. I thank you so much for your support. I hope you're listening in. I hope if you have questions or if you want to get on the show, you reach out via via um, the Instagram um, DM or Facebook group. And please, please, please join us for the conversation. But don't forget we're in a pandemic. So be kind to your neighbors. Make sure that you please, please, please practice social distancing. And just always remember, again, everything you do, do it with love and kindness and take care of your well-being. Bye for now. Thank you, guys. Thank you, Dr. Kazanev, again for coming on the show. <laughs>